This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 courses on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming or DVD and CD. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only... The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including the Decisive Battles of World History. For this limited time 80% offer, please go to thegreatcourses.com slash WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com slash WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Mark Hemingway. And Mark, am I the only person in America who is disappointed that there wasn't a Charlie Hebdo cartoon on the front of every newspaper in the United States? Uh, no, you're not. Uh, I mean, I think that the the, uh, you're, the, you're, the only answer to this sort of uh, you know barbarism is you know more speech. I mean, you, the, the the minute these guys get the idea that violence can succeed uh, um, is is the minute that everything is just going to go south. Um, and, and the only way to discourage them is to just make them think that their cause is futile, and it should be. I mean, you know, ink is cheap. <laughs> yeah, it should be. And yet, what's depressing to me is not only were, were there not, you know, was there not an automatic outpouring of newspapers running the cartoons, but there was in fact a trend the other way. Uh, media outlets from the New York Times to the uh, Atlanta Journal Constitution to the major cable networks all saying explicitly, we won't be publishing the cartoons that uh, many people say inspired the violence uh, yesterday. Right. Um, yeah, it, it, it is interesting, though, because in the wake of this massacre, a lot of media outlets have been saying that they're doing this open, like CNN specifically said they were you know, fearing for the safety of their employees and all that. And I find this just fascinating because this is not like a new approach for them. I mean, they have declined, um, almost all these same outlets have declined to publish the, the Danish Muhammad cartoons and, and other things of that nature. Um, but, but for years, they were insisting that somehow it was not uh, out of fear of, of violence. It was that they just have this policy where they don't gratuitously insult people of all faiths, which, you know, as a Christian or a Jew, <laughs> who pays attention to the media at all? I mean, it's, just, it's ridiculous. I mean, it seems like some of these outlets go out of their way to offend us, uh, people who have you know serious faith. Um, so you know, all along it was you know we knew it was just that they were cowering in fear, uh, and uh, at least you know they're now openly acknowledging that. But I'm not sure that's a good thing. I mean, I, 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 this is a case where a little hypocrisy may have gone a long way. You know, what a bad idea to let. The most violent or you know the, uh, extreme w- whatever among us, not just you know people of faith, but to take for example, uh, you know people who are animal rights people or or anti-abortion people, and say, hey, violence can work if you can somehow convince people that that you know that uh, they should be afraid, then the pen will not be mightier than the sword. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that there's some truth in that. Um, the, the problem is, is it just sort of cuts both ways. I think once you uh, um, dispense with the, the faulty rationales, uh, those rationales were aimed at sort of placating, you know, their consumers, you know, the more rational people like us. And I think that once the people realize that they're doing this just because they're cowards, I think, you know, it'll be harder uh, for um, those of us who... Uh, um, are supposedly, you know, not the extreme radicals or whatever to to 
to ignore what they're doing and, and not feel the need to put pressure on them to show some spine. Uh, but, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, uh, it does also send a signal to the, the terrorists uh, that uh, um, their violent approach does work. And uh, that same message to anyone, and it's not just violence, it's pressure in general. And, you know, the the condition of the media, as you know, Mark, it's kind of rough. There, you know, Back in the uh, late 90s during the dot-com boom, there was money pouring into television and radio and print. And, you know, people could look at advertisers and tell them, you know, spit in their eye and say, we're going to run this hard-hitting story on whatever. Now, today, you practically see the newsrooms out begging, please, sir, more ads. And you see <laughs> stuff on your television morning shows that you go, oh, my gosh, this looks like an advertisement, not a news story. And guess what? It is an advertisement. With right. the media in so much trouble and so pliant already to so many forces are we at a point now where a responsible news consumer simply can't assume that the journalists that they rely on are trustworthy even if they wanted to be trustworthy because fear of either violence or criticism or revenue loss is already coloring news content in a way that it really hasn't in the modern era well, yes, uh, for all of those reasons, and then let's let's add to that the fact that they're ideologically reprehensible often to begin with. Um, <laughs> I think that is it has been a, a huge contributing factor, and 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 you know people talk about um, all of these economic pressures and all of these outside circumstances, which are very real and, and should be considered. But it's also true that we're in this situation with the media where they're spineless because. In the last, you know, 20 years or so, we've seen them buy into a lot of things that are sort of um, on the sort of like left-wing, politically correct side of things that, you know, very much cuts against the grain of the kind of like classical liberalism, you know, the ideals of, you know, truth and justice, uh, you know, and crusading that, you know, journalists once claimed to hold dear. Um, you know, you see a lot of hand-wringing about in, in the media in the wake of this about, oh, well, you know, the bigger problem is Islamophobia and worried about backlashes and the results in, in the wake of this massacre. And, and, you know, the bodies aren't even cool. Um, and it's just because they buy into these notions that, that their, their readers are, in fact, you know, barbaric, um, awful simpletons, uh, and, and they treat them as such. You know, and at the same time, you know, just because they're, they're taught that just because someone has looks different or is from a different culture or something that somehow that must be respected rather than, you know, coldly weighing what's going on here and just presenting the facts. So it, it really is just a toxic situation all around. And there's some particularly despicable about watching people like CNN, the New York Times, patting themselves on the back for putting up Je suis Charlie on their screen or their paper. But nowhere inside the paper is a one of the cartoons that would actually right. show that you were standing with you. There's none of the risk that comes with the cartoons. I almost fell over. I think it was the Boston Globe that had a, ca a cartoon today where it went through the process of basically showing how, you know, we, we're going to fight against you, blah, blah, blah. And there's this huge pat themselves on the back. Nowhere in the Globe today, a single copy anywhere of the... Um, uh, you know, cartoons the, themselves. So they, it's even more despicable to pat yourself on the back and then decline to take even the tiniest, tiniest stand that involves even a modicum of courage. It makes it even worse to me. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right about that. That reminds me of this. Some years ago, The Onion did this this 
story, and, and you know, the, the Onion itself being a parody newspaper, and, and I think the contrast here between The Onion and, and Charlie Hebdo is instructive. And the headline in this piece was, No One Died Because of This Cartoon. And it was a picture of, of Jesus and Buddha and, uh, you know, an, an Indian god, uh, a Hindu god, um, you know, all on this cloud engaged in various, like, pornographic sex acts. Right, and it was an implicit commentary on you know how stupid it was that people are dying over Muhammad cartoons. But you know who wasn't in the Onions cartoon? <laughs> Muhammad. Yeah. <laughs> now I understand that maybe putting him in there would have like ruined the joke, but like the absence is so glaring, and you know it points out you know that that they you know themselves you know are, don't have the guts. To, to go through with this. And so long as that's the case, people are going to die because of cartoons. One last question for you, because you hang out more with the Washington media elites than the rest of us do. At what Don't point, tell people this. At what, what point does shame catch up? At what point are you just ashamed that you work for a newspaper that won't report the news if it's scary? At what point are you ashamed that you work for, as the New York Times did a newspaper that has accurate quotes about what the terrorists said about attempting to you know, convert people to Islam in the immediate aftermath of the attack, and then they actually took their own reporting down afterwards because it didn't fit a narrative they were comfortable with. At what point do reporters feel any uh, of the gap between where they are and the Woodward-Bernstein ideal that drove them to J school 20 years ago? You know, that's a good point. Uh, I, I think you do see some of that among older journalists who are either so established in the newsroom that they can, you know, occasionally mouth off or they just come from a different time period where, you know, they did, you know, maybe they're not hardcore conservatives or, or even far from it, but they do hold fast to these, like, liberal ideas, classical liberal ideas about free speech. So you see a little of that among, I think, the older set, but the problem is they just think that, like, you know, as you know, newsrooms have gone from, you know, guys who smoke two packs a day and keep a bottle of scotch in their desk to, you know, the Washington Post newsroom is full of, you know, people who have MF, who have MFAs in creative nonfiction from Columbia University and, you know, jog 40 miles a week. Um, and the, the younger generation has really just bought into this whole worldview of, uh, you know, relativism and, you know, understanding cultures uh, that are different than ours and that the U.S. is bad and that, you know, we don't have the answer to everything and it's every problem is too complex to have, like, a simple judgment. Um, and I just don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I you know, you talk to these people. Uh, I got in, in, uh, involved in a Twitter discussion uh, a couple of weeks ago with uh, uh, an editor at BuzzFeed uh, who's generally a sharp guy, and, and the kid was telling me, at some point when we were discussing this constitutional issue that he didn't even believe in natural rights. And it's like, how do you even have a conversation with him? You know, so you, you know who did believe in natural rights? The people that wrote the Constitution. <laughs> so, you know, you need to, you know, have, we need to be like on the same plane here if we are going to be discussing our basic freedoms. And I don't think that, and I think that so many of the younger class of journalists are just constitutionally, <laughs> to use that word in a different sense, incapable of of having the the kind of 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 doing the kind of thinking at that level. Mark Hemingway, not a very uh, pleasant end to the conversation, but thanks so much for your time. All right, thank you very much, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.